It's a great song. Oh, let all that is in me adore him. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next number of weeks as we start a new series entitled All In. What does it look like for us to have all of us adore Christ? Not just one hour a week or one day a week, but all of our lives and every part of our lives. Over the next six weeks, now through Pentecost Sunday, we're going to focus on God's all-in love, sending Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life for us. And as if that were not enough, also sending his Holy Spirit to empower us to follow the way of Jesus, trust the truth of Jesus, and live the life of the body of Christ. I think it's important to say at the front of the series that I think while many of us have been schooled in the truth of Jesus and heard many sermons, and some of us have studied the life of Jesus, I wonder if it's fair to say that most of us have never fully experienced the way of Jesus as a model for us to follow, as a way that we might live our lives in a way that transforms every aspect of our lives. And yet Jesus intended just that, that his way would transform every area of our lives. This is what the Gospels bear out. And so I'll just give you one example as we start before we open up God's Word this morning. We might think from our Western theology that Jesus' whole purpose was to come and die for our sins. At the Gospel writers, all of them include so much more than that. So much more than Jesus' substitutionary atonement for our sin. They include so much of his life before crucifixion and most interestingly, his life, his way after it. And so in these next weeks, we're going to look at what it means for us to be all in, especially looking at Jesus' resurrection life in us as individuals and in our community. And so we're going to do that this morning, beginning with one of the most well-known stories of Jesus after his resurrection, a story of the men on the road to Emmaus. So I invite you to follow along on the screen. Uh, The words will will be up there. Now, that same day, this is a few days after Jesus' resurrection, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed those things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's now the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, But they did not see Jesus. So he asked them, How foolish you are! How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so Jesus went in to stay with them. But while he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up. They returned at once to Jerusalem immediately. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And they said, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened to them along the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So far, the reading of God's word. The sermon this morning is entitled Crossroads. And you can see behind me a picture of what we we think of when we think of crossroads, a choice between left and right. It's important as we start for you to know that the biblical picture of crossroads is a little bit different. It's a choice of forward or back. Now, I'm not just trying to split hairs here because left and right is one choice and forward and back is just one choice as well. But it's important to know that the biblical picture of crossroads is forward and back because if we don't understand that, then when we see these men, or if we don't understand that, we'll miss that these men are at a crossroads, that they've gone away, turned away from Jerusalem and Jesus invites them or responding to Jesus, they decide to go back. So why does Jesus meet these men on the road to Emmaus? And what does this have to do with us today? Well, in Jesus' day, everybody walked everywhere. Walking was so common, in fact, that the Greek, in the Greek language, they had the same word for walking and for living. And so these men were walking and living, not just uh, down the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but also walking and living at the crossroads of history, the checkpoint between the Old and New Testament. They were wildly excited about this Jesus. They had heard his teachings. They had seen his, pa- his power. They felt, no doubt, like they were on the edge of something amazing, exciting, beautiful, transformational. But then Jesus was crucified. He was abandoned, his body defiled and rejected by the Jewish leaders and by Rome. He was left for dead. He was dead. The story that they expected, that they had hoped for, took an unexpected turn. And these men couldn't see the joy anymore. As they walked home, no doubt they are walking slowly. They're dragging their feet allowing Jesus to catch up with them. And in the midst of all this, they say what, to me at least, are some of the saddest words in the New Testament. We had hoped. On on this day, these men were standing at the crossroads of God's intervention in human history. The next day, two days after Jesus' uh, crucifixion, they had packed up their things, cut their losses, and headed home. We had hoped, they say, but we don't hope anymore. 
This sermon is entitled Crossroads because as we begin looking at the resurrection life of Jesus and the way of Jesus in the Bible and at River Park today, a crossroads is exactly where we find ourselves. A crossroads is an opportunity to go one way or the other. Do we go left or do we go right? Do we commit more fully to the way of Jesus? Or do we cut our losses and go home? Crossroads can be life-changing, but we also face crossroads every single day. How we listen to Jesus, whether we respond to the small nudges of the Holy Spirit in our moment-to-moment living. Those small things are often what guide us toward bigger, life-changing moments. Maybe you've had an experience standing at a crossroads in your life, wondering what was going to happen next, wondering what God was going to do or, or if God was even with you. When we look back, crossroads are almost always moments of growth and possibility. But standing there in the present moment, a crossroads is usually a weighty thing, something that is filled or a mix of grief and possibilities. About a year and a half ago, Kaylee and I stood at a crossroads, quite literally. We had had an experience, uh, kind of like Abraham and Sarah, where we sensed God saying to us, go to the place I will show you. We had visited family in Michigan, and then we transited through the Phoenix airport. And I took a video of that moment, and you can see it behind me. I think it'll play for us. Looks like it's at the end. I don't know if you can restart it. We were standing in the Phoenix airport, and we went to the end of the concourse where our flight was supposed to be, and on the, on the one side of the concourse was a plane that was heading back to Grand Junction, Colorado, our former home. And right across the concourse was a plane heading to Calgary, our future home. We had to decide. We knew that as we stood there, that our lives were going to change but we had no idea how they would change. No idea who we would meet, whether we would ever feel settled, or if it would all blow up in our faces. Even while we were grieving what we had hoped, we were wondering what was to come. We stood at the crossroads, and God invited us to jump all in. As River Park Church, we find ourselves at a crossroads today as well. Ours is not a crossroads that will be decided in a few minutes or hours when the plane takes off, but it's a historic crossroads nonetheless. Our church has been in decline for several years. We've nearly made it through the pandemic, and now we have a new vision statement. And with all this, we have to decide if we're going to jump all in. And if that were not enough, the Angus Reid, a survey uh, company, research outfit, they just released a new study, or a new survey, excuse me, which found that Canadians are more suspect of religion and more disconnected from religion than ever before. Of Canadians, 19% see themselves as non-believers, 46% are spiritually uncertain, only 16% of Canadians are religiously committed. That's all religions, not Christianity. One in eight, maybe. And then this one especially that I think should give us all pause. For the first time ever, 
More than half of Canadians, 51%, more than half of Canadians feel that evangelical Christians and Islam are more damaging to society than they are helpful. What do we do with that? We stand at a crossroads. With the people of God in the past, we might wonder what God is going to do next, even as we share some grief about what we had hoped would have gone differently. And yet, at the crossroads, God always calls his people, his church. He always meets his people on the crossroads and always speaks to us. The nature of sin, the nature of our our human nature, like the men on the road, is to blame others or to become blind even to Christ with us and among us. What I mean, not, not speaking now by analogy, but speaking directly, I mean that our temptation when we reach a crossroads like this is always to ask everyone else to change. Speaking of this survey, one Christian leader who was interviewed in the survey blamed Netflix for this. He said, Netflix portrays Christians badly. That's why so many Canadians have a bad view of evangelicals. Others have, for a long time now, accused the media of biased views. This article was posted online in a CRC pastor's Facebook group. And one one CRC pastor even said this. He said, I believe that surviving the next 20 years is not a bad mission for the Canadian churches to have. And I want to just pause for a moment and wonder with you if that is really the leading of God among us. Can we find evidence in Scripture that when we come to a crossroads, that God's leading is for us to blame others, to try and escape responsibility, or to just hunker down? Brothers and sisters, I don't think that's the case. If those ways are our our approach, then we should just give up. But God has better things for us. Netflix's job is to entertain. The job of the media is to publicize what they view as important news and important information. The problem is not Netflix or the media or anybody else. The problem is that Christians have too often stood at crossroads in our own lives, big ones, small ones, and instead of going all in, we turned around and went home just like the men on the road. Or maybe we went partially in, which doesn't really work as people with one body and one soul. We can't go two ways at once. And so we end up paralyzed, uh, paralyzed by indecision. Nothing change, nothing changing because we never fully committed. The American preacher Tony Evans says it this way. He says, you can't blame things for being dark if the light bulbs aren't working. So we're complaining about the darkness when the bulbs aren't working and the Bible says that we are the light of the world. The reason it's no good to blame Netflix or the media or anybody else is that God has only given one group of people the responsibility to be all in, to celebrate his glory and his love. And it's the church. 
God gave the responsibility to be all in to the very people who were the first recipients of God's all-in love, to the people who were the first recipients of the honor of God's new family. As I said, God has always met people, met his people on the crossroads of our lives. Jesus himself, at a macro level, was born at the crossroads of history. The Roman Empire had made travel and communication and trade around the Western world safe and affordable and comparatively easy. The West had one language. The cultures of the world were all coming together in and through the Roman Empire. We celebrate at Easter that at this crossroads in history, the one that the New Testament records, God showed us his all-in love. God sent us his son to be the way, the truth, and the life who would lead us back to the Father. And in the midst of Jesus' redemptive work, we even see the micro way in which Jesus meets these two men as they walk along the road. And what does Jesus do on the road? How does he meet them? Well, Luke tells us that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what, it, what was said in scriptures concerning himself. This information is foundational. It's important. It was a walk of several hours from Jerusalem to Emmaus where they were going. And no doubt Jesus had lots of time to explain the, uh, all of these things to these men, to go through the whole Old Testament. But notice that the transformation does not really begin until these two men encounter Christ himself. When they meet Jesus in the, in the breaking of the bread and the fellowship are at the table, then their eyes are opened. Then they exclaim, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road, while, we, while he opened scriptures to us? Of course, their hearts were burning. Because scripture promises us that the word of the Lord never returns empty. It always accomplishes what it's set out to do. Scripture promises us not that, not that the, the, the written word will transform us, but that the word made flesh will transform us. That we will never leave an encounter with Jesus unchanged. And so as we stand at this crossroads... It's worth asking, have you, have we, have you really encountered Jesus? Or do you just know about him? Do you just have the foundation? And if you really have encountered Jesus, then we should be asking ourselves, how have we been changed? How are we being changed? See, Christianity is not so much about having the right information Although the right information is important. It's a solid foundation. But Christ does not dwell in the foundation. Jesus says, if anyone who loves me, obey, or anyone who does love me, will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to live in them. We will make our home in them. That Christ doesn't dwell in the teaching. He dwells in us, in those who are obedient to his teaching. The home in which Christ will dwell and the Father will dwell is based on the foundation of Scripture, but it's us. 
God's love caused him to go all in for his people. Our love is a response to that. And as Jesus says, our love inevitably leads to obedience. So we're changed not not only by what we read or what we hear, but by encountering the living Christ in our world today, in one another. And that makes my job especially challenging because I have to come and speak each week knowing fully that we are transformed not by my words, but by encountering the living God. What does that look like for me? What does it look like for you? Well, C.S. Lewis, I think, gives a, a powerful but brief picture, just a window into the kind of transformation that Christ's resurrection life works in us. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis argues that God is not just trying to make us into nice people, but rather trying to make us into new men, is the word that he used. God wants to transform us entirely, in other words. And so this is what he says. He says, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever and ever. And this is either true or false. Now, there's a good many things which would be not worth bothering about if I were only going to live 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually getting worse, so gradually that the increase in 70, uh, in 70 years will not be very noticeable, but it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct technical term for what it would be. Likewise, even a gradual transformation from the quote-unquote worst person bending slightly toward God might, in a few years, amount to very little. But over the course of eternity, even the smallest transformation and turning toward God would amount to something dazzling. How have you been changed? How are you being changed? The picture from C.S. Lewis puts Christ's transforming work into the context, not of this present moment, but the context of eternity. And I share it because I think I can say with the prophetic confidence of of preachers that all of us have had crossroads moments in our lives. All of us have realized at one time or another that we were at a significant moment. Perhaps we even sensed God leading us. To those of us who didn't make any changes in our lives, let me suggest that it might have been, or maybe even probably was, if we didn't make a change, it was because we believed too little in ourselves, not because we believe too little in God. The men on the road to Emmaus never question the resurrection power of God. They are happy to believe that God is completely able to raise someone from the dead. What do they do? They question the reliability of the witness's testimony. We too don't question God's power, 
or his ability to do miracles. We are happy to say that everything, anything is possible for God, that nothing is impossible for him. And so in that way, we trust the truth of Jesus. But too often, we do not believe that we are capable of following the way of Jesus. We think that it's beyond our ability or beyond our station in life. We think that we have already been set in our ways, that we have tried and failed before. We're not sure if we have energy to try again. And so we say with the man on the road to Emmaus, we had hoped. We had hoped for something different. We had hoped for a better situation. We had hoped for a different outcome. But we don't hope anymore. We look at others, we look at the situation around us, and we think that even our best efforts won't make a dent or a difference big enough to matter. We think of ourselves as the little, the last, the least worthy. All of this this morning has been building to one thing, one thing that I want to challenge you to take home. So if you hear nothing else, hear this. You can change. You can change. I don't mean that in a self-help kind of way or certainly not in a try-harder way. I say this because I don't think that many of you believe that change is actually possible. We settle into the busyness of our lives and into the brokenness of our situations. We go in partially to Jesus or we go in partially part-time to church. But we keep back a lot of the control and direction of our own lives for ourselves. We give to God the things that are comfortable and easiest to give. And we give to God the things that we would most, eat, most like to be rid of. But we tend to stop short of giving our whole selves All of us, I think, know by now we cannot be changed in our own strength or by continuing in our own way. Our own strength and our own way is what led us to this moment, to this crossroads in the history of the church in in the West and even this crossroads of our own lives. But God meets us at the crossroads of our personal lives. He meets us at the crossroads of River Park Church's history and at our place in history in Western society. And God invites us to go all in, to go his way, to respond to his all-in love by going all in ourselves, believing, trusting, and even expecting That when we give our full selves to Jesus, that God will transform every area of our lives. And so this morning, as we set up for some of the weeks to come, I don't want you to be overwhelmed by the enormity of the call to be all in. I don't want us to be paralyzed by the journey that is ahead or by the challenges that are along the way. Instead, I just want to leave you wondering about the next right step. The men who had gone home after they encountered Jesus immediately, at once, got up 
and returned to Jerusalem. As I said in the introduction, that was their picture of repentance. They had gone the wrong way down, or they had gone backward down the road, and God invited them to turn around. And they went forward, back to Jerusalem. Their immediate decision to repent, to turn, and to go all in began with walking to Jerusalem immediately. If you wait or I wait, if you wait until tomorrow or next Sunday, we'll just remain at that crossroads paralyzed by indecision another week. Jesus is calling us. Let's not wait. Let's respond in faith immediately. And so as we close in prayer, I just invite you again to wonder about that next right step. First for you, and over the next weeks, we'll look for you as an individual first, and over the next weeks, we'll look at more at us as a congregation. So let's come to God in prayer. Father God, we see your work at hand, your hands at work in history. We see your power at work raising Jesus from the dead. Forgive us, Lord, for believing your truth, but being unwilling to follow your way. For the times that we are paralyzed by fear or indecision, for the times that we walk away from your leading, go the other direction because we have been let down, because we had hoped, but we can't see how way to do things in our own strength. Father, draw us back to your power and your strength in our lives. Teach us, Lord, not just through words, but through the actions and examples of your others of your people, what it is to love you fully, to go all in in our love for you, and to give every part of our lives to you. But Lord, before we do it all, we take the first step. And so in this moment where our hearts are tuned to you, Perhaps even our hearts are burning within us. God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, empower us to do the next good thing, to take that first step of obedience to you, to trust you with more of ourselves. All these things we pray in Jesus' name and in the power of the cross. Amen.